The 80s are gloriously overrated. I fucking hate the 80s. They're dumb. They're stupid. Thundercats, stupid. Transformers, <sighs> okay. What blasphemy? G.I. Joe, propaganda. <laughs> you know what Although I think the G.I. Joe community episode is pretty good. It's fantastic. It was really oh, awesome. Oh, it was awesome. Uh, Ninja Turtles, okay, Ninja Turtles are still bitching, but that's the late 80s, early 90s, so we get to claim that. 80s doesn't. Yeah. And it wasn't produced by a toy company. Nope. Negatory. Comic books first. Toys second. I I think the 80s are just a a stupid, materialistic decade that was all about about screwing the little guy and doing blow and oppressing the working man, breaking up unions and workers' rights, and giving power... A bunch of assholes and ties that were too big for their heads. I've got it. Your existence is invalid. The Thing by John Carpenter. Freddy Krueger. Hellraiser. Okay, that sucks. But your first two were good. I like Hellraiser, though. Uh Uh-huh. No, you don't. Ferris Bueller. Uh, Shut up and die. (laughs) Okay, he made some good points. We got a Black Hawk down. We got a Black Hawk down. Can you spell it? D-J-A-N-G-O The D is silent. Um, I'm gonna need you to go ahead and come in tomorrow. And uh, this is... Lilu Dallas Multipass. Welcome again to the Good Trash Genre Cast, where a bunch of guys who are part of a film society club once upon a time love podcasting so much they just kept doing it. And so here we are again talking about cult and or genre movies, but we're doing academic scholarly film analysis upon that which has no business in a film studies classroom. This week's movie is a movie called Donnie Darko, but before we get into that, we've got introductions we've got to cover first. And I begin with you across the table in the orange Enforcer t-shirt, if you would, sir. I am Arthur Gordon, and I hope that when the end of the world comes, I can breathe a sigh of relief, because there will be so much to look forward to. Also across the table to my slight right, if you would, sir. My name is Dalton Stewart, and Arthur, how exactly does one suck a fuck? That's an excellent question uh, to be asked. It's one of those mysteries for the ages. <laughs> my name is Dustin Sells, and I want to know, what are you doing in that stupid man suit? Moving right along, uh, we are going to talk about Donnie Darko. There will be spoilers because this is not a review show. We will give our quick reviews here in just a few moments, but we are not about doing just that because there's plenty of shows like that on the internet. What we're going to do is something the internet doesn't do, analysis. Well, at least it doesn't do it as well. We are the internet's premier flagship analysis program. There are others out there who do attempt to do what we do, and we salute them for their attempts, but we are the best. <laughs> And so before we get into that, though, we've got to give the quick review, our thumbs up, thumbs down, and then it's in spoiler territory. So we begin with the voice of the cinema synopsis. Mr. Arthur Gordon, if you would, sir. A troubled teenager is plagued by visions of a large bunny rabbit that manipulates him to commit a series of crimes after narrowly escaping a bizarre accident. And then Harvey kills Jimmy Stewart and everyone else. (laughs) It's fantastic. (laughs) And, and that's who framed Roger Rabbit. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like our double bill. <laughs> it's a really weird double feature. Yeah. <laughs> man, man plagued by Harvey and no. Big Rabbit. <laughs> and so, gentlemen, we begin with our quick reviews. Thumbs up, thumbs down. Does this movie work? Does it not work? Perhaps does it age well as one leaves adolescence? and or spermhood and moves on into uh, that which uh, is a little bit more thoughtful as one becomes an adult and thinks about this movie. I begin with you, um, the sperm who saw this, Dalton Stewart, if you would, sir. The sperm who saw this. <laughs> That's going to be the name of my noir film. The first chapter of my memoir. Listeners, <laughs> um, <laughs> people who, who tuned into the very end of last week's episode probably know that I was not looking forward to this week. Um, I, I have a really tenuous relationship with this film. It was really popular with um, about the same time that people my age were really into the Boondock Saints. They were also really into Donnie Darko. The two kind of go hand in hand together. Uh, and unlike the Boondock Saints, which I loved when I was between the ages of fourteen and seventeen, 
I did not give a rat's ass about Donnie Darko. And when I finally saw it, when I was about 17 or 18, I not only did I not care about it, I actively disliked it. Um, I don't hate it anymore. Uh, watching it, you know, with fresh eyes, about five years later, six years later. Um, I do still think it's a really troubling, not troubling, uh, problematic film. Um, just in that it's it's really kind of crammed up its own ass in a lot of ways. Um, I don't think it has nearly as much going on as it thinks it does, and that's, you know, this is the only Richard Kelly film I've seen, but it's my understanding that's something that kind of plagues his filmography, because he always thinks he's got something more going on than he does. I understand this to be the only Richard Kelly film. There uh, are other things he's done. Seven, I think. Oh, he's made some movies, yeah. but this is the only film he's made. Oh, oh you're making jokes. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, um, I don't know, there's some defenders of Southland Tales, so, but I, again, I can't speak to that. Uh, the things I do like about this are really a, an interesting portrayal of mental illness that I think works really well. I, I think it would be, it would work better. Uh, and again, apparently the, I think the theatrical cut is what's streaming on Netflix, which is what we watched. I believe the director's cut makes things a little bit more ambiguous, um, I think it's the opposite. Is it really? I think this is the ambiguous cut. I think it's very obvious in the director's cut. I, I don't know. I listener, think I, I looked something up on the internet. I listener, think. if you know, uh, let us know. Uh, I'm going to take Dustin's word for it for now. <laughs> so, okay, well, the director's cut gets it wrong because it should be even more ambiguous. I think this movie's much more interesting if we never know whether or not uh, Donnie Dark is just a really troubled kid. Um, because all of the string theory, quantum physics shit in this movie does not work. Um, string theory is confusing enough. You don't need, um, you know, some guy that slept through half of his physics class trying to explain it to you through Jake Gyllenhaal, uh, who I really liked in this movie. I, I really dug Gyllenhaal's performance a fair bit. Um, Dustin and I were talking about this a little bit off air. I don't think he was as wild about it as I, as I was, but I, I, I really enjoyed him in this. Yeah, this just doesn't do it for me, guys. I don't hate it like, like I used to, and I, I think there's some really good atmospheric things going on here. Uh, it mm-hmm. looks great. It really is a great-looking film. Uh, just in terms of you know the photography and and again the the building that kind of the tension of the mystery, but overall I was just thoroughly still thoroughly unimpressed. But I, I can at least see its merits. Well, thank you for that, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Mr. Arthur Gordon, what do you think? Do you like this movie? And um, because Dalton saw this as a younger person, had, is this a first view for you? And where are you at in your viewing of this film? I saw this in high school, as one does typically. Yeah, unless you're old. Um, when it came out. I saw it probably, yeah, junior, senior year, somewhere in that yeah. neighborhood, I guess. On People high. were really into it when I yeah. was in junior high. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't get around to seeing it until I was about that same Mary yeah. when it came out. I remember 2000, yeah, I would have been, I would have been sophomore, so I probably saw my junior year, I'd say, somewhere in that neighborhood. Um, it's, I've seen it a couple times since, so I mean, I'm familiar with it, and I've, the first time I watched it, I think I was probably kind of bought into the, the that height but since I I you know I'm not too this 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 time around I wasn't terribly impressed and I don't hate the movie by yeah. any means I think it does some good things I think it does some bad things uh, I think it takes itself and its theories way too seriously oh my god yes uh, cool. you see this obviously with the director's kind of thing in the DVD special features because <clears> they do a lot of emphasis on the time travel theorem and all this nonsense I think it has a great tone uh, it's got some great aesthetic choices. Mm-hmm. Uh, Frank Sue is very memorable. Absolutely. It's the most memorable thing about this film other than Mad World. Yeah. I mean, between those two, that's, nobody, that's... I don't think anybody would remember Donnie Darko if it wasn't <laughs> for Frank and Mad World. That's fair. It's got some great cover art. So that, that, that ties in it with It's good Frank cover and, art, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, the poster and the, the actual like packaging of yeah. the DVD are both really, really so, solid. It's, it's got that going for it. And that, that may be why a lot of people buy into it because it's cool. Um, I think the casting here is very hit and miss. I don't like Barrymore at all here. I think she's she completely out of place. She doesn't seem to know what she's doing when she is delivering lines. I don't like it. Um, I like Patrick Swayze. Swayze is welcome. amazing in this movie. Mm-hmm. I think he's wasted. I feel like he's just... I'd love I'd, for him to have more to do. Yeah. yeah. I think his subplot's so... Oh, I think that's fair. But I think yeah. the time he's on the screen, he's oh, electrifying. Yeah. No, I think he's, he's a very welcome choice. You know why? Because he's a cooler. <laughs> Can't go wrong with Swayze, man. Man, he's good. R.I.P. Uh, I think the Darko family—they have a great dynamic. The Jill and Hall siblings—they do. A gr- they have a good chemistry here, and I think that could be hit and miss with siblings at times. But I think it, it works well here, and I think Maggie's very good here. Mm-hmm. Um, the editing is weak. I feel it's very choppy in editing from moving from scene to scene. Those transitions seem very just 
Did you choppy. watch the uh, the cut that's streaming on Netflix? Yeah. Which, I, you know, and I think part of that's probably got to do with some some the, gutting. Yeah. On the cutting room floor. That may be what it is. Yeah. I think you'd. It would probably behoove one if they really want to dig into this film to probably watch those cuts back yeah. to back. Probably if they really want to get into this film. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I, I can understand how this connect with a high school audience. Have all their angst and this high school fantasy. The weird kid gets the cute new girl. He floods his school. He sets fire to some douche's <clears> house. And, you know, he saves the day at the end. Uh, yeah, I don't see it standing up to the test of time. I, I don't know that it's that that great. Um, and much like Boondock Saints, I don't think you can discount this film's fan base. It's got an obvious appeal. Uh, I just don't think it's as good as it's lauded to be. Or as it thinks it is. Fair enough. Thank you for that, Mr. Arthur Gordon. I would say that um, if we want to put Boondock Saints as a side-by-side for this film, this is the far superior film of those two. Now, that's not saying a whole lot. But it is saying that I enjoyed the watch of the movie. I found the science to be strange and interesting and uh, related to some things that I've been thinking about myself anyway. And so You've been thinking about time travel and giant bunnies a lot? Uh, yeah, not bunnies. The other half. And uh, so those things I found to be interesting enough. Gyllenhaal is not the best, and he's the lead, so that doesn't help. I do love Swayze. I do love uh, most of the rest of the cast. Drew Barrymore would be the exception, also. Uh, Noah Wilde is great. I mean, he's just he's just great as uh, mm. and probably as, as Mr. Darko. No, as uh, the science teacher. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. And uh, underused though, and that's too bad. And uh, of course, Mom from uh, First Lady of Independence Day, whatever her name is, yeah, yeah, is yeah, yeah, yeah. she's great in all the things she, she does. I was gonna say the president from Battlestar Galactica, but that's fine. Also that too. And I love her, and she's great, and she does a very, very fine job um, in her acting. So that all works, but it's not super-duper awesome. It's, it's that angsty teenager film. It's got a, a little bit of that high school rebellion that I'm sure all the kiddies um, picked up on. Like, oh yeah, we want to shut down the school too, and Barry and Axe and our mascot. And that's not even what it's about. No. So I get why that's sort of strangely weak, even though it's visually somehow strong. But if I was to rate the movie, I would give it like 22 and a third trash cans out of 34. It's all right, but it's not fantastic. It's a very specific <laughs> number system. Someone thought this through. Yeah, shit. <laughs> so uh, that's that's about all I can say. It, it, it's better than bad. It's it, it's better than men. It's below great. It's yeah. I'd say it's fair. And Dustin, I don't. I mean, I can't speak for Arthur. Uh, again, you were elderly when this came out. Uh, I can't speak for uh, Arthur and the you know the people he was hanging around with when this film was popular and why they clung to it. Uh, the people I knew that really seemed to clung to this film, I think, really did connect with the isolation stuff, the, the mental illness stuff, really, um, which speaks to the people I was hanging around with. Um, but Drama no kids, just saying. <laughs> you know, and I think th- this film really does have something to say there, and I want to get into that in my analysis, as I'll say, for that point. It's fair, it's fair. Let's move on into some analysis, though, and uh, talk about what's going on in the film cinematically, thematically, and perhaps culturally relevantly. I begin with you, Mr. Dalton Stewart. What say you, sir? Well, I talked a little bit about, you know, these themes of isolation um, and just a general uh, feeling of not fitting in that I think we can all, you know, everybody's been a teenager and I think everybody can relate to that and I think that's something that this film speaks to that's probably uh, got a lot to do with its popularity. I think people who are fairly self-aware uh, or have a good memory of what it's like to be a teenager uh, and I think those are people that really do connect with this film and that was something that I, I was really struck by was was Donnie's just kind of his journey of he, he's going on of not really feeling like anybody gets him. Uh, which I think is something that everybody feels uh, at one point or another, um, particularly when they're a teenager. Uh, so I, I really appreciate that that was something that this film touched on, was that look at adolescence. Uh, but in particular, uh, more than isolation, I, I liked this loss of innocence. Um, adolescence is this time where you really, you know, your teen years into your, your young adult years, time where you realize that everybody's kind of an asshole, um, and all the people that you thought you could trust, your parents, teachers... Uh, public figures, politicians, motivational speakers, uh, they're all kind of terrible uh, because they're people and they're flawed and they can't help that. Uh, and that, that's something that we don't really touch on, I feel like, enough in film uh, is a honest look at that wall coming down um, between childhood and adolescence and realizing, oh, my parents are people. When we get it, I think it's really fantastic, but I, I don't know if we get it enough. 
if that makes sense to, to, to you guys. Um, but, but I really appreciate it when we do get it. Uh, and I feel, feel like that's something that Donnie Darko does very well. Uh, and, and Donnie in the film, we do see him kind of just bumping up against all of these you know adults in his life, his therapist, Jim Cunningham, uh, and realizing that some adults can be trusted, but they're all flawed. Um, there are some cut scenes I, I happen to see and, and read uh, between him and his dad and him and his mom that I feel like really add some closure to their relationship where he does realize that they're not just tightwads, you know, they do kind of get him to some extent and they, they understand what he's going through a little bit as much as they can. And I think that's a great thing for, for films to approach. I think it's a, a thing that uh, that films do have the ability to tackle. Is, is this separate this general generational separation uh, we talked a little bit of Dustin rather talked a little bit about this uh, on our wrath of Khan episode is this generational divide um, and, and I feel like that's something Donnie Darko does very well is this realization that you one can't trust anybody but then realizing you can trust them because they know exactly what you're going through some of them just aren't very good at relating to you anymore uh, and that was something I really appreciate about Donnie Darko. The other thing that it attacked uh, was conformity. And again, I think that's another thing that probably makes it really popular with uh, angsty, goth, punk, and seeing teenagers uh, is is this notion of, of breaking the shackles of conformity. And what better place to set an anti, a non-conformist film than the 1980s? Uh, because, I mean, the 1980s. And we see this really most strongly represented by Jim Cunningham and their weird gym teacher. Um, who she always seems to play that character, that actress, and yeah, she does. basically everything she's ever done. Um, God love her because you you need at least a handful of actresses that can always play that terrible, terrible person. That 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 personification of all awful teachers and uh, authoritarian matriarchal figures that you've ever known. But uh, those were just you know uh, kind of my my hodgepodge of takeaways from Donnie Darko. Excellent, excellent. Well, thank you for that, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Uh, Mr. Arthur Gordon, what say you? Uh, Donnie Darko is an interesting film. It's a sleeper hit. It's a small little indie number that came out uh, in a pivotal time in America's life, September of 2001. And, you know, this happens from time to time, and this is how most cult films are born. They mm-hmm. go on to better success on home video and uh, word of mouth, and friends tell friends, and everybody gets high and watches Donnie Darko. Um, <laughs> not wrong. <laughs> Uh, you know, uh, as as one blog put it, Donnie Darko kind of captured this underlying darkness that's evident in our world, uh, something that we realized on you know nine eleven or what have you. And so I don't want to read this as a nine eleven text, but I think it's interesting where it comes out and what it leads to in cinema. It was one post. of those, that kind of first wave of post nine eleven films. Um, you know, we never fully understand Donnie's darkness. You know why he is the way he is. He's got some sort of depression. Mm-hmm. It seems that we never really get the roots of that. Um, he's in therapy, he hates his family, maybe because they handed him off to a therapist, uh, yet he encapsulates this moment in time that many teenagers go through, which is what Dalton hit on quite a bit, uh, this isolation, that mental illness, and not really you know, accepting people and having to realize who people really are and trusting them and things like that. Uh, in his article on British cult cinema, Justin Smith notes that, quote, certain kinds of cultural texts, uh, ones whose unfinished structure allows remarkable creative agency and psychic investment on the part of the viewer, uh, can be used to display shared subjective anxieties. Uh, I think there's this level of ambiguity to Donnie Darko. It's not as great as Dalton would hope, uh, but there is that, and we've kind of discussed the the ambiguity of what is happening here. Is it real? Is it not real? Is it time travel? It would be really interesting if he was just a paranoid schizophrenic. <laughs> it makes everything a lot better. That's my thoughts. But uh, I think time travel's stupid. This is a movie that can bring people together because of that that conversation that it opens up, and people can debate, and they can... They can grasp the text and they can chew on it in a way they can't with other films sometimes. Um, you know, this is coupled with that portrayal of, of high school life. It's very, I think, realistic at times of high school life. And uh, it's driving that point home with this realistic 1988 setting. We're dropped right into the middle of this political debate between uh, Dukakis and Bush, um, which I think is very interesting. And I wish I had a little more time to look at that and deal with the politics because it's very interesting because it keeps coming out throughout the film. It's not a one-off. I think this, this grounded setting really helps, and it, it adds that element of realism, I think, which also drives this home and kind of makes, brings it home for a lot of people. Uh, Smith also notes that cultural change impacts a film's status, and that's uh, what the blog I was referencing earlier mentions, and what it's kind of talking about um, with the reference to 9-11. The years following 2001 were very pivotal, especially for film, as the fallout of 9-11 seemingly changed the meaning and the reading of every film to come out since. It's hard to look at any 
at least major action movie or spy thriller type film that comes out without going back to 9-11 because For they sure. all reference yeah. that some way. Um, and so the timing of Darko's release is very interesting in that in that way. Um, Donnie sees behind this facade, the society puts up a, a facade that was interrupted with the events of 9-11, um, that underlying darkness. We see that with Jim and we see that with the different, the different people that he interacts with in his life. Um, I think Donnie Darko is a strong example of cult cinema or a better candidate for cult cinema than say maybe the Boondock Saints, which I don't think really has some of the depth that I think this movie does actually kind of reach. Mm-hmm. And, and so, um, you know, Boondock Saints just seems to be this kind of crowd favorite for its violence and the humor and the Irish, and it's got all these little moments and iconic kind of things that happen, but it's not as, there's not a level, I think, there. Um, so Darko has a bit more weight in the cult department. And not to say it's a great film, but its DNA is much stronger than some. Um, it also features some of those markers we were familiar with from, like, The Crow and Boondock Saints when we talked about those as cult films. Uh, there's this not necessarily heavy violence, but there's this strong visual graphicness, especially when Gretchen gets ran over, mm-hmm. uh, Frank gets shot, we see Frank's exposed socket uh, in the bunny suit before he gets shot. Uh, so there are stri- certainly striking visuals related to the violence. Uh, also, certain taboos are brought to light. A uh, successful motivational speaker with his hidden past. Mm-hmm. Swayze's character is uh, interesting in that regard as the child pornographer, uh, who is very heavily uh, still defended by his biggest fan. Till the end, of, no matter what, he's a saint. She's got a massive white on for him, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, just to make sure. Well, well, you know, I I wonder about you know mom's commitment. It's funny because mom's commitment to this dance troupe is what's being questioned. <laughs> even though Jerkface is going to go watch some pederast mm-hmm. plead not guilty at court. Right? There's this very it's 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 might be kind of beautiful actually in in afterthought. But there's that great montage when they're at the talent show, right? Mm-hmm. And you keep seeing they cut to Jim, they cut to those girls dancing, mm-hmm. and then they keep cutting to Donnie going to the house, and it's kind of this yeah. nice little foreshadowing type little, of it's a cool moment. Like it. It, it doesn't make sense at the moment, but in retrospect, it, it works I think very mm-hmm. well. I was I, I thought about that as well, Arthur. That's a really a good uh, good call to point that out. Uh, we also have all these attacks on 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 school and in a school. Uh, Donnie's discovery of the gun and his own dark tendencies kind of point toward the Columbine esque atmosphere. And his own physical attacks on the school through flooding and the vandalism are very taboo for society. Uh, yet there are fantasies being acted out for the students who watch this film, for the high school students, for for every kid that ever just wanted to skip school because the school flooded. There's something every man hero esque about Donnie Darko with his superhero name. Um, and so Donnie's weird. Uh, he's kind of cool in high schoolers. I think that's what attracts them a lot because there's this cathartic release through his character. Uh, we could also look at the cast. You know, we have a grouping of B and C listers in the lead here. Uh, Hall's really a nobody in 2001 at the time of this movie's release. Um, his girlfriend, Jenna Malone, recently comes to fame with Catching Fire, but up until now, she hasn't been anybody. I mean, she hasn't really done a whole Andy lot. She's darling kind of... God, I wish she would do more. She's a great I, actress. I like her in everything she, she does. Everything she's her. done is fantastic. But she's little, just she's never... even great in the magnificently flawed Sucker Punch. She's about the best thing about that yeah. movie. So I, I really enjoy her here. Um, and then we have these uh, these veteran actors cast kind of against type with Swayze and Barrymore and Noah Weil, as you mentioned. And so we kind of have those elements of the cult cinema working. You know, I think Darko's a good candidate and a good fit for the genre of, of cult cinema. Uh, I really don't have anything personal against it. I just don't think it's like the greatest film or as great as a lot of people herald it to be. And I think uh, if you can kind of see past that veneer, you, you, there might be a little jewel working there, but don't buy the hype. Yeah, that's fair. I think Arthur does make a good point about there probably being something more to dig at with this than there is with, you know, its contemporary boondock saints. However, I and, and I didn't think about how to really fully address this concern of mine and, until uh, Arthur was giving his analysis. Um, not having an answer to your puzzle doesn't make your film interesting. And I think Inception is a good example of this. Inception is, is a really deeply complex film. Um, that you have to be paying attention. But there is an answer, and, and, and you can get there. Shutter Island uh, is another film. There is an answer. Everything makes sense. Donnie Darko doesn't have an answer, and it's not interested in the answer. And that's fine. There are lots of films that kind of play with notions of reality and time. And I was joking about time travel. Obviously, I love time travel. Terminator's a masterpiece. Um, there, there are films that... that Upstream Color is, is another film you know we did on this show that, that is kind of similar to this and that actually you know it's not similar to this at all because 
it's more opaque and yet makes more sense. I think Upstream Color uh, makes infinitely more sense than Donnie Darko because it actually knows what it's talking about. I think Richard Kelly thinks he's smarter than he is. Mm-hmm. Uh, or at the very least, wants to pull the rug out from under people and thinks he's a cheeky little devil. That's what I don't like about the film Donnie Darko is it purports to be smart because it talks about wormholes and quantum physics and string theory and time travel, which are all very interesting topics. When Donnie Darko presents them, it just makes me angry because it's not actually saying anything at all. And not having an answer doesn't make you interesting. Fair enough. Asking questions makes you interested. Not having an answer to your questions doesn't necessarily make you interesting. It can, but... Here it just doesn't. And that, that's really what I think is still sticking in my craw about this film. I just realized how I wanted to, to say that. Sorry to interject. It's fine. Dustin, what do, you, what do you bring to this film as far as analysis goes? Well, what I want to do is I want to lay bare the philosophical underpinnings that make a movie like this possible. Okay. Because this movie is a uh, questing and a uh, attempt to try to rectify some recent scientific discoveries and their physical slash metaphysical implications. So, we've got a little time travel now. It's going to happen because we're going to do a little history lesson. So, once upon a time, there was this cat called Aristotle. And Aristotle... Aristotle, if you will. Um, right. He was um, one of the students of Socrates. But we're moving past that. Strange things are afoot at the Circle K. And Aristotle had this idea that the, of a mechanistic universe, that there was a first mover who would make the first move and basically set up all the dominoes and then watch all the dominoes be knocked over. Much like Hugo Weaving in V for Vendetta. Something like that. There's, there's a singular cause and singular set of effects, and the universe ran like that. And there was also, within all of this, early philosophical physical, metaphysical speculation where people talk about the at- atma, the uh, the uncuttable bit of all that is matter, right? And if you kept cutting it into a certain place, you'd get to the at- atma. We begin to call them atoms when we discovered them about 1,800 years later, where there was this uncuttable bit, the atom that made up the universe. Now, before the atom was discovered, there was a cat called Isaac Newton, who also discovered that some of the ways the universe works were quite mechanistic, a la Aristotle. And so there were these certain unchangeable laws. For every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. Ninth grade science flashes back. And all of those sort of mechanistic laws about the universe. As they began to cut the atom into pieces, they began to say, oh, hey, look, there's like this big kind of heavy center and there's these lighter things that are circling around the protons and neutrons in the center. So, therefore, the smallest parts of the universe also work in this sort of mechanistic sort of way. There's one line in history, and that's how it all works. But then the 19-teens, 1930s happened. Is that what you're getting at? Well, we'll, we'll put post-Einstein. Um, Einstein is not the beginner of a new form of past Newtonian physics. He's like the apotheosis of all Newtonian physics. This doesn't happen until the 60s and 70s. Is, okay, you are getting to string theory. Is no, string theory and, and quantum, and quantum theory. physics. At well, the, I feel like Einstein, again, liberal arts degree, not, not my, my, my bag. I find it very, very deeply fascinating. I don't really know a whole lot about it, but my understanding is that Einstein's general theory of relativity did kind of set the groundwork for what quantum physics would start to do, and I think quantum physics was a word they came up with in the 30s. The, the, the word itself was invented then, yeah, right? The, yeah, the term for that type of science. But the early quantum physicists were expecting, again, more of these kind of me- mechanistic, uh, measurable, uh, predictable mm-hmm. sorts of laws, uh, a la Newton, a la Aristotle. Now, all of this connects to Aristotle's great influence on the one of the major uh, philosophical, metaphysical uh, threads and streams of all Western philosophy, which is Christian theology, this idea of God as the first mover uh, that, that sees the one line, that determines everything, and that's how it's all going to work itself out. There's all of this sort of dialogue going on in Donnie Darko, the, the, the one track that God sees, and how can you see the possibilities, but there's only there's this other track, right? That every, everyone's life is full of these possibilities, but there's a single track, which is only God's track. Now, how does that tie to quantum physics? As they began to find out the uncuttable was actually cuttable, 
and inside of those particles there were subparticles and they've identified uh, I think 272 different subparticles there are leptons and mesons and then there are exotic mesons and I love me some exotic mesons but no, we've we been all. watching we've been, oh man <laughs> whoa whoa oh boy oh man I tell you an exotic meson mm-hmm. yeah get, get a little blues music it's great moving right along this they began to find that these particles behaved in ways that were not predictable, that were very, very strange. One of the ways in which they behaved, I think this movie is actually wrestling with in terms of metaphysics, because if physics is this purely mechanistic set of domino cause and effect, therefore there's one view of God that would fit that, and one view of nature and time. Because Aristotle's view of time, based on this view of God, based on this view of mechanistic future, is that there is a singular past, singular present, singular future. As we began to cut up these little subparticles, stay with me. I am. We began to find that particles could disappear from one place and reappear in another place, having never traveled the distance between the places. Crazy. You could diddle with an electron in Los Angeles and its corresponding one in New York would go, hey, what do you do? <laughs> yeah, that, so yeah. they were also connected. Yeah. But, the, but, the, but the, the spatial travel was what was really interesting and I think is tied to Donnie Darko in that there we began to see that those particles on the past or present side of the particle before it moves, you could observe it in such a way to see that all the paths were traveled. And then if you observe it on the after effect of its traveling from point A to point B, having not traveled distance, there was only one that it actually traveled, but it only travels that one singular plan when observed. And we begin to understand that the future may not exist necessarily as a singular event as a result of the causes that precede it, but it is a chain of infinite possibilities that are somewhat... Uh, that are somewhat random and uh, determined by choices made in the meantime. Therefore, we have a movie like Donnie Darko, where you have this young man wrestling with this idea of, are we able to make choices? And if we are able to make choices, what are the possibilities? And the movie is all about chasing out all the possibilities, in this case, a particular set of possibilities, and then making a choice in retrospect to make a different thing occur. It's about time travel, and it's about the nature of the future that God may experience and or humans may experience, and this idea that perhaps the future doesn't actually exist at all, and we're making it all up as we go along, and there are just possibilities as we walk along. And I find that to be very, very fascinating. And this bit of metaphysical, uh, or rather um, subatomic physical discovery has begun to cause a revolution in the way we understand metaphysics, which is also causing some revolutions in Christian theology. And they begin to talk about open theism and different ideas about God and his understanding of the future. Which is, which is something I find to be very, very fascinating. And all this stuff's going on right around the early 2000s, 1999s, as far as these physics discoveries and as far as these other options being entertained. And so I think Donnie Darko wrestles with all that. Moving right along, let's do what we always do. Let's render our verdict, shelf or trash, else, or instead, I ask you, Mr. Arthur Gordon, what say you? Stream it. I think that's the best place for it. I can't say, like I, I mean, I've, I've kind of hit on, I, I don't hate it at all, but I just, you know, I don't strongly dislike it. It's it's there. I think it's a fine movie if you're bored, you're looking for something to watch. I think it's fine. The tone, I think, is great. The aesthetic's great. And it's one you should, might should watch. I mean, it's kind of important as far as cult cinema goes. It's it's big for the the two thousands. Um, I'll probably watch it again. I'm not sure I'm going to do so, but I'll I'll, I'll probably come across it again. Uh, keeping in line with the eighties and time travel, I'd say you watch Back to the Future. If you're dealing with teenage angst in the eighties, I say you watch The Breakfast Club. Uh, dealing with teenage angst in general, I'd watch Charlie Bartlett. Um, if you're dealing with imaginary, questionably imaginary bunnies, I'd watch the Jimmy Stewart classic Harvey. Yeah, you should. There you go. Thank you for that, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Mr. Dalton Stewart, what do you say? Shelf or trash? Else or instead? For shelf or trash, go back 30 seconds and listen to everything Arthur just said. Because I, <laughs> I agreed with all of it. I also love his pig at Charlie Bartlett. God, that's a great uh, underrated film. Uh, he actually, one of my else, I, I'm going to say instead. Uh, I'm going to say these are films that are probably a little bit more enjoyable. These are films I enjoy more than Donnie Darko. Uh, and they get at the things that I liked about Donnie Darko in a, a little bit more interesting way. Um, one of them being Ferris Bueller's Day Off, mm-hmm. so to mm-hmm. to kind of coincide with Arthur's pick of the Breakfast Club, it, it's teenage angst, but in a way of acting out uh, in a much more 
popular way than Donnie does, obviously, with Ferris Bueller's Day Off. But I think it is a very similar film in that it is a a character who is very much um, knows that he is not of this world and that he is better than everyone uh, for some reason. Uh, and so he's going to go ahead and do what he wants and, and follow his bliss. For Donnie Darko, that's, uh, you know, the staircase of madness that ends up saving the lives of someone, you know, of, of some dude in a bunny outfit and his girlfriend. Uh, for Ferris, it's, you know, going to a parade and, you know, going to fancy restaurants and getting into crazy shenanigans. But I think they're very interesting companion films. Uh, yeah. and, and I think um, if you were to watch them back to back, you'd see flavors of each other. Um, there is a film that I'm not allowed to mention uh, <laughs> by a director that I'm not allowed to mention that I think pairs very well with this film. One of my co-hosts brought it up earlier. I believe it was you, Dustin. Um, that I think, and I'm not just bringing it up to bring it up and to violate the Fincher rule, just get it to be edgy and sassy. I think it pairs really well with this film. No, that's fair. Um, both in terms of the angst and in terms of the, you know, being very dark and very interestingly visual. Uh, it's also a better film. Um, and yes. has more interesting things to say about the nature of human interaction. Much like Donnie Darko, this film, uh, and in case you haven't picked up what I'm, I'm talking about, Fight Club, which I'm not supposed to talk about on the show. And the only reason I break the band this evening is because it's relevant to not. Um, because I feel like uh, Fight Club, again, really does share a common DNA with Donnie Darko, I think. I think you would it would behoove you to watch these films uh, because they are something of a, of a pair, of a, of a gathering. All of these things that Donnie Darko wants to touch on, I think uh, Fight Club actively delves into and has something to say. And unlike Donnie Darko, once you turn 25, Fight Club still has interesting things to say and just keeps getting better every time you watch it. Whereas Donnie Darko, I think you're going to realize it might be more shallow than you think it is. Finally, another film from the late 90s, early 2000s uh, that I think tackles these family dynamics uh, and feelings of dissatisfaction. And that's American Beauty with Kevin Spacey uh, by Sam Mendes, which I think is a really, really fantastic film that uh, tackles these things, uh, you know, feeling inadequate, not be feeling stuck with your family. Uh, and I think that film gets at those things in a very interesting way. And also, spoiler alert, spoiler alert, spoiler alert, both main characters die uh, at the end of those films in their quest to uh, find themselves. So those are my picks for Elsa instead. Dustin Sells. Are you shelving it? Are you trashing it? And what do you recommend for pairings or insteadings? I'm going to actually go ahead and say it's shelf because it is an independent film and though it has currently the contractual obligations to Netflix which make it readily available, being an independent film, it will not always be the case. In, in terms of what else you should watch, in terms of time travel, I'm going to make the rare recommendation of a Nick Cage film. And I'm going to recommend a movie called Next. What?! Because Next is basically trying to tease out some of the same philosophical implications. Next is a movie in which a character is able to see a few moments or decisions future in time. And the entirety of the film, spoilers ahoy, is him going through one chain of possible decisions which does not result in a positive result and him starting all over. Is that the Proust film? No, that it would be knowing. Knowing, that's one thing. Yeah. Which is a slightly different sort of knowledgeable time travel prophecy sort of film as well. Uh, it's not the same thing, but it's interesting okay. in different kinds of ways. I like it as well. I actually like it better than Next, but I don't recommend it with Donnie Darko necessarily. Just yeah. recommend it in general. Uh, in terms of films that have these sort of strange pockets of different narrative lines, timelines, storylines, I recommended it last week because of its dark tone on Hollywood and its dream factory reversal, but I have to say Mulholland Drive is another great possibility that works alongside Donnie Darko that is much more effective, much better acted, and much better directed, musically scored, uh, sound designed. It's just better in every single possible way. Naomi Watts is amazing in this film, and you should immediately drop everything and watch Mulholland Drive. So those are my recommends for that. Let's move on, though. We now come to an uh, opportunity for you to make your suggestions what else we should watch. Your theories about what's going on with the universe of Donnie Darko. Your recommendations and everything else. And you can do that via the various and sundry means of social media. Mr. Arthur Gordon, you know anything about that? Yeah, first and foremost, you can email us, goodtrashgenrecast at gmail.com, please. Because I don't get enough email to my phone. Um, secondly, you can find us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash goodtrashgenrecast, one word. Uh, we don't have a lot coming in this week, 
Uh, Randall Bays, our good friend, he did chime in about our mashup universe worlds uh, that we talked about on the Who Framed Roger Rabbit episode. And he said that he would like to see a mashup of Godzilla and Downton Abbey. <laughs> <laughs> yes, please. And I would watch it. So, But that's about it. Caleb Vesley, I hope you shined in on Twitter because you're, you're dropping the ball. Well, um, Mr. Dalton Stewart, do you know anything else about other means of social media that are available? First of all, Mark Zuckerberg didn't create Twitter. Jack Dorsey did. He created it as a way for you to share your status with other people without being obnoxious and long-winded and limiting you to 140 characters. And the overwhelming evilness of the internet turned it into a thing where people are still allowed to complain about gay marriage. The whole scenario where people are posting baby pictures on Twitter, it just couldn't happen. Twitter is asexual. It doesn't care about your baby pictures. It just wants to hear your jokes. It's so illogical, you know. If, if you don't have a Twitter, what's the point of living? <laughs> That's a Smurf reference, y'all. Yeah, it was a very hard to turn that Smurfs reference in Not Any Darko <laughs> into my Twitter monologue. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, you can find the Good Trash genre cast on Twitter at good underscore trash. Feedback from the Twitter, Mr. Dalton Stewart? Well, you know, we've got a little bit of this, that, and the other. Uh, as always, we do have the myriad retweets and favorites, which I will say uh, are increasing in, in number. We also have a, a new follower that I'm not really entirely sure if it's a real person or not, so I'm not going to go ahead and, and say, oh, it's an Emmy-winning composer, or at least he claims to be. Uh, by the name of, <laughs> by the name of Joel Goodman, I don't know if Joel Goodman's really uh, well, the an Emmy Awards composer. Wow! <laughs> um, but if he is, that's cool. Uh, welcome, Joel. I welcome you. I hope he's really following us because that would be kind of cool. Yeah, I'm right. Um, so Caleb Vesley retweeted Arthur, but unfortunately, I don't think he actually said anything this week. Come on, people. So uh, Caleb Masters uh, though did chime in. That's at Big Cal Kenobi ninety one, former co-host. And Caleb Masters chimed in. Apes with guns. Gary Oldman. Apes on horses. Apes with bazookas. This movie has it all. Uh, and sent us the the first full length trailer for Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, and it was super cool. Friend of the show uh, and friend of the show and occasional guest host Nicholas Sanford, and always Nick Sanford. <laughs> um, that's, that's funny he's got jokes uh, included us in a follow Friday with a bunch of uh, with a couple of other podcasts and also a bunch of uh, really funny comedians in the Oklahoma City Norman metropolitan area I went ahead and retweeted that so you should go check those people out Nick Sanford also chastised me in teasing this episode I mentioned that one of the hosts hated was not looking forward to talking, watching and talking about Donnie Darko uh, and Nick chastised me he said well, my, our tweet from the Good Trash Honor account was, Next week we take a trip to the land of late 90s goth and discuss the cult classic Donnie Darko. Spoiler, one host is less than thrilled, to which Nick said he needs to get over it because he was a young, dumb teenager when he saw it last, and now he's just playing it up. To which Dustin said, Fronting much, bro? So, a lot of me getting harassed uh, <laughs> on, our, on our Good Trash Twitter account this week. Dustin also posted some really uh, an interesting link, um about uh, red being the most cinematic of all colors. Uh, Phil Harvey, at Phil Awesomer, who chimed in last week, chimed in again this week, saying, Why did you waste your money on Stoker's Dracula? Go read Salem's Lot and find redemption. <laughs> Talking to Dustin here, obviously. Uh, I missed <laughs> that comment, and I <laughs> deny its existence. He also said that last week's episode was golden, so thank you for that, Phil. Uh, I would agree with Dustin, though, that I haven't read either book, but I'm pretty sure... Go, go, with the, go with the literary classic rather than something written by Stephen King. I'm certainly not going to go with the movie adaptation yeah. as superior to Coppola, which is what I understood that tweet to mean. I, oh, I, I think he meant the books. I think he meant the books. Oh, that's better at least, I guess. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, mean Salem's Lot's good, but, I mean, Dracula. I mean, it's, it's, it's Dracula! Change the world kind of a book. The, there is not <laughs> one without the other, am I right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So and finally, Brigham Cole dropped in some news for us. First of all, 
the debut trailer for NBC's Constantine, mm-hmm. which I didn't even know existed until I watched this trailer. Did you guys? I was yeah. aware that it was up and coming, I had and it got no, picked up. I, I had I no it. idea. I had no idea there was even a pilot being produced for it, let alone that it had been that it had been produced and picked up for a full season run, or at least the first half of the season. Fridays this fall on NBC, Constantine. It's exciting. It's pretty cool. The trailer looks good. It looks pretty decent. Uh, they're blending some elements from the film, it looks like, but also it is going to be much more the John Constantine we know from the Hellblazer comics uh, that Vertigo DC released. So look forward to that. He also, um, well, we'll get into that later. It's something I'm going to talk about a part of in pop culture, but. But Burton gave us a link to it that I retweeted, so we'll talk about that later. Well, there you have it. All right, well, thank you, dear listener. Please keep in contact with us through all the various other means of social media. And, of course, keep listening to the podcast at Podbean, also on Stitcher, also on iTunes. Also, please comment on the iTunes or rate us. That helps us so much in keeping this conversation out there. That's right with a T. Uh, correct. <laughs> Moving on, it's now, as I look upon my watch, time to play the game. Time to play the game! (laughs) This week's game brought to you by... Arthur Gordon. (laughs) Which is that we are going to be on a desert island stuck with only three cult films. And you must choose. The Claw will not choose, no... You must choose. Pick your poison, fellas. So, Mr. Arthur Gordon, what are your three films? Uh, If I'm on an island trapped, I'm going to want to start with an existential comedy, and there are a few better than In Bruges. Uh, Next, I would move on. I would stick with comedy, but I'd go back a few decades, and it would be Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Good pick. I also have it on my list. To laugh along with. Uh, I think, finally, sticking with a comedy theme and thinking about all those things and an oppression, I would go with Office Space. Ooh, good one. Good nice pick. pick. Excellent choice. Which longtime listeners will remember, we did an episode over. We yeah. did. That show did happen. Uh, Arthur wasn't there because he hates us. No, that's true. But we had you. many guest hosts that night, as I recall. I think it was just three of us, maybe four. I don't remember. That was early. That was it's, early in the that's run. Oh, that's OG. If you've listened to the Clerks episode, or not the Clerks, if you've listened to the Office Space episode of the Good Trash Honor cast, you get props, because that is OG. Congrats. <laughs> Mr. Dalton Stewart, what are your picks? Well, I've already violated some rules enough for the night, but just know that were no rules in place, the film that was already mentioned by me earlier would be on this list. Is Maybe. that a cult film? Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely a cult okay. film. Yeah. It, it had t-shirts at Hot Topic. It's a cult film. <laughs> Potter's got t-shirts at Hot Topic. Okay, that's a Your good argument point. isn't valid. It had that t-shirts at Hot Topic before Hot Topic was a thing to be the thing to thing to thing to thing. He's yeah. Okay. Thank you for bringing my argument back, Arthur. Yep. Moving on. Uh, first of all, I'm going to say a film that I'm pretty sure I've talked about before uh, on this show, and that is Leon, aka The Professional, because it features. The finest moment of Gary Oldman's <laughs> acting career. Everyone! I just like that film a whole, whole, whole lot. It launched Natalie Portman's career. It's a great action thriller that has a heart. It's just a really fun film. Um, it's not only a, a fantastically actiony, cool film. It's got an emotional heart that keeps it going. Um, that final shootout, man. Holy crap. And the opening action scene, too. That's just a good move from top to bottom. Uh, I'm also going to say uh, From Dusk Till Dawn, because it's... Just the bee's knees, guys. Yeah. You don't even know what yeah. the film is until <laughs> over an hour into it. And then you realize what you're actually getting yourself into. Finally, another... You, you can tell I've got a, a 90s bias here. Um, finally, we're in with Clerks, a film we've talked about on I almost put it on my list. Yeah. yeah. I think it's it's a really great 90s cult comedy, and it's one of those ones I could... Uh, honestly, if, if I'm being honest with myself, I'd actually probably go Mallrats over Clerks just in terms of mm-hmm. laughs per minute. Uh, but but Clerks is the more culty. Um, Mallrats doesn't even have enough of a following to be cult. I think I think it's a very select group that still yeah. carries that torch. But really, any of those early Kevin Smith films I think would fit on my list. Definitely. Dustin Sells, what uh, what three cult films are you taking with you to the desert island? Well, agreeing with Arthur Gordon, I'm going to be taking Monty Python and the Holy Grail. 
You can't go wrong there. Because they have sharp, pointy teeth. That almost very nearly went on my list. And so, it just has to happen. I just love, love, love that movie. And it is very, very, very much fun. Uh, The other films that I would select are um, a little strange. And again, just things that I think I have a lot of fun watching. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of them, this is a guilty pleasure of mine that I don't think I've actually ever revealed. So I hope we still remain friends. I'm really excited. After this, is I really kind of love... A Sylvester Stallone film from the 90s, co-starring Wesley Snipes. Yes! Demolition, Demolition Man. Man. Yeah. All day, every day. It just makes me so happy. No, that's a goodie. Cool. I laugh all the time. Dennis Leary, he's funny. I don't know. This is good. And then finally... Wesley Snipes is hysterical in that movie. He is. Infinitely quotable. Probably one of the major sources of all my quotations in life, in general, is a uh, little film called The Princess Bride. And good I thing. would love to be watching it. All the time, really, truly, all the time, because it's fitness. I don't believe in rodents of unusual size. Uh, yes, <laughs> that is an under for, of all the moments in that film that people love. The moment where Carrie, how do you say his last name? Elvis. 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 I think Elvis. the moment where Carrie Elvis is says, it Welsh? "I'm gonna, I'm gonna just go with Welsh." <laughs> the moment where Carrie Elvis says, "I don't believe in rodents of unusual size," and then is immediately tackled by a rodent of unusual size. Yeah, I don't believe they exist. Is, is amazing. <laughs> Is fantastic. It is one of the best laughs in that movie and doesn't get enough credit. That is totally fair. I love that movie. It's great. Uh, mm-hmm. Billy Crystal. Good, good pick. Dustin. What more must I say? Oh. Have fun storming the castle. <laughs> <laughs> so now that we have uh, done our game time, it is now time. How about a to talk about what's guys fired up this week in pop culture, I ask you first, drinking from the glass. Mr. Dalton Stewart, what say you, sir? The thing I alluded to earlier in our feedback session uh, that Brayden Cole gave us a link to was Dan Harmon's first public um, comments on the canceling of Community. Tis a sad and tragic day. It ruined my Friday. Um, I'm kind of bummed out about it. But I'd be lying if I said I didn't see it coming. This was just the first season, I think, in the history of Community that Community fans weren't expecting it to get canceled. (laughs) Every year since it's been on, Community fans expected that to be the last year. And this seemed like the first year where the chances of getting renewed were actually pretty good. Since NBC doesn't have a leg to stand on for its it's must-see or whatever the shit it calls Thursday nights now. Um, Because all I've got right now is Parks and Rec. That's it. Yeah. So it, uh, you know, I thought they would. They were dumb and didn't. What can you say? Um, but uh, I retweeted that link. Uh, Brigham sent us. If you listen to Dan Harmon's podcast, Harmontown, which you should, you've already heard what he that article says. Um, so there you go. But it also has an update, a recent update that talks about uh, some statements are released on his Tumblr. But um, check that out if you're interested. If not, who cares? Uh, I saw mm-hmm. Neighbors this weekend, mm-hmm. which was quite hilarious. I enjoyed it a lot. Uh, I think Zac Efron has arrived as a movie star, a capital M, capital S movie star. I think Dave Franco also has as well. I think they're both fantastic and that they both keep up with Seth Rogen. And Rose Byrne reminds everybody that she was not, you know, sleeping on her haunches in Bridesmaids. She doesn't get enough credit because she's, you know, one of the, she doesn't get a lot of the, the really solid jokes. Yeah. She's kind of the antagonist and the antagonist can't be that funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't hate them. She is so funny in Neighbors. They're all, I mean, it's just a really solid, uh, you know, um, comedy that also has a, a really human core that I think makes it operate on a whole different frequency. By the time you hear this, dear listener, um, you will be available for listening. Um, another podcast I'm going to be on this week. Um, by the time this episode is released, you'll be able to listen to yours truly, guest hosts on Caleb Masters' uh, cast Beyond the Wall, which is Game of Thrones podcast. I'm really excited about it. The season of Game of Thrones has been great. I'm sure I've mentioned that before on, on the show already. But um, I, I will be uh, guest hosting with him via the magic of the internet this week. So if you weirdly can't get enough of hearing my voice, which I highly doubt, um, <laughs> that you don't get tired of listening to me talk. If you want to hear what I have to say about Game of Thrones, go check that out. That is Cast Beyond the Wall. You'll find it quite easily. Finally, we call this section, you know, Fired Up, What's Got You Fired Up This Week, to give us the option to talk about things that make us angry, that are not such shiny things that we're, we're looking forward to in pop culture or have experienced. And this is something I, I've gone out of my way to not talk about, but I can't do it anymore. 
I was driving home from work one day this week, and I drove by a car that uh, car chalked on the back of their window was the phrase, God's not dead, which is a fine sentiment, if that is how you feel. I am not here to address the theology of that statement, because frankly, I'm not interested in it. I am here to address how infuriating I find the film, God's Not Dead, on moral principle, because it is a hackneyed, I haven't even seen it, don't need to, it is a cash grab of a movie that is designed to profit off of people's faith and make them scared of having an intellectual conversation. Because that is a film that posits a scenario that has never fucking happened and never would if a philosophy... For those of you who don't know, in the film God's Not Dead, Hercules asks a college student to say God is dead in a philosophy class his freshman year, and if he doesn't, he's going to fail him. Basically, it's just the film. This professor would get fired. Immediately. 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 Kevin Sorbo, what are you doing? What are you doing? To be fair, he was the best part of the movie. Did you see it? Mm-hmm. He is not a bad actor. No, he's not. Surprise. It's just infuriating. It makes me so angry. And that's, I. you know, I, I've been angry since I've heard about this film. And I've gone out of my way to not talk about it, but I'm seeing that it is actually having an impact with people, and that makes me angry, that this is actually connecting an audience, that people who would agree with that sentiment are being dumb enough to let this film communicate with them, because this is a film that discourages intellectual conversation by by masking it in the guise of of dogma, And, and, and I find that really infuriating, and I don't like it when people profit off of people's beliefs. And that's what's got me fired up in pop culture. I'm not going to say anything you said is wrong. Uh, Mr. Arthur Gordon, <laughs> what do you say, sir? Well, sorry to mention, uh, but trailers for Gotham and Constantine are out. I have not yet to see them, but they are out on the interwebs. Uh, plus, CW is going ahead with the Flash series. Um, so that's exciting. And it seems Arrow has been handled very well, so I'm excited about this because I like comic books and superheroes and I'm a nerd. If Warner Brothers brought the same care to their cinematic universe that they do to their television universe, I wouldn't be as worried about future upcoming projects that they have on the slate. Zack Snyder's released a teaser image of the Batmobile, by the way. Yeah, he did. Yeah. I want one. So bad. For Christmas. That's my that's my life's ambition is to own a Batmobile. Is that too much to ask? Uh, more on this comic book television stuff. Marvel's Agent Carter uh, will be coming in the fall uh, to ABC. Uh, which is a take on Agent Carter from Captain America. Yep. And uh, kind of, I'm assuming, will go into the birth of S.H.I.E.L.D. and how mm-hmm. that all came about. My understanding is S.H.I.E.L.'s also been renewed for a second season. Yes. Officially. That's yep. what I thought. And so, uh, it's a Haley Atwell. It's a period piece. I don't know if you can go wrong there. In more comic book-related television news, it appears that the Netflix Marvel series will exist within the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Which is just fun when we see Iron Fist and Luke Cage and Daredevil and maybe they'll appear in the Avengers 18 cool. in 2026. Cool. Because I like all of those things. <laughs> well, we'll go ahead and end where we always do. Dustin Sells, what has got you fired up this week in pop culture? I am fired up about a handful of things. Uh, one of those being a new release from BFI Publishing, a authoritative analytical text, a BFI Classics text on Guillermo del Toro's Pan's Labyrinth. Oh, cool. I'm very excited about that. I've got a copy of their uh, version mm-hmm. of Analysis on Vertigo. Mm-hmm. It's they're, they're thin little books. They're yeah, not really yeah, yeah. big, but they're releasing it very, very quickly. The review is um, quite um, laudatory. And so I'm excited about that, and I think very, very good things will come from that. I'm also fired about Constantine. I uh, just love, love, love that whole series and Vertigo in general. And so I'm know you do. quite, quite excited uh, about that. The, the final thing I'm fired up about this week in pop culture recently released on the Flicks of Nets are two things. One of them is Joss Whedon's Much Ado About Nothing. And yeah. so I need to catch that because I haven't got around to it. It's a goodie. And in terms of what we do on this show, Slavoj Zizek's The Pervert's Guide to Ideology is now streaming as well. I've already seen it. It's great. You should watch it now. Even if ideologically you don't agree with the place to which Zizek takes you, his analysis of ideology and what film does to help reinforce dominant ideology is brilliant and obvious and fantastic. Dustin, assume our listener stupid like me and has no idea what you just said. I know those names and I know what ideology is and I know what a pervert is. <laughs> As Zizek he is, one. is an ideological pervert and he... <laughs> it's actually true. He would agree. 
he is a philosopher who is uh, reasoning out culture. He's trying to suss out what's going on in the world, and he's also a cinephile. He had a previous film, uh, also directed by Sophie Fiennes, called The Pervert's Guide to Cinema, and just about how movies teach us how to want, how to desire. This time, he is talking about how the movies reinforce a dominant ideology around us. Uh, there's major leaning on a John Carpenter film called They Live, starring your and my favorite wrestler, Rowdy Piper. Piper. It's mm. good times. And uh, so he's, he's with special a, appearances by Keith David and others, uh, but he spends a lot of time with that. But it, it's a great exposition of what's going on ideologically in culture, and also just generally the philosophical musings of one Shlavoj Zizek, who happens to be my favorite critical theorist currently. He has lots of accent marks and such over his name. Yes, he does because he mm-hmm. is Slovenian. But what can you do? He also has a very thick ass, accent and some sort of lisp. But nonetheless, it's very fun to hear. You've probably heard Zizek before if you have the DVD version of Children of Men. He has an extended uh, special feature of just him talking about what's going on in the movie. <laughs> and so uh, that's probably the first exposure most of you have had to um, Mr. Zizek. But very exciting. Um, he's a theorist. He does what we do on the show on a much higher level. He's one of those to whom we would aspire to be. He's smarter than we are. He's quite smarter than we are. So he's on Netflix, and you should watch the movie immediately. And that's what's got me fired up this week in pop culture. Well, let's move on, as we always do, to close out the show. Thank you, gentlemen, for all those analysis, recommendations, and things about which one can be fired. And you are fantastic for saying those things. I'm so glad to have been around this table with you. What's that? I said this is where you get your revenge. <laughs> this is where I get my revenge. I want to take you down a little road of process, gentlemen, because it's host pick time, and it's my pick. And so I was thinking about what movie should I pick, should I foist upon you, gentlemen, to watch. And my first thought was, looking on the Netflix, and I saw that Night Run Elm Street Part 2, Freddy's Revenge, was streaming, and I wanted to take the homophobic or homoerotic reading <laughs> off the table and then make us analyze it. There'd be nothing to talk about. There could be things. <clears throat> and make us work quite a lot and watch a quite terrible movie. But I decided not to do that. Then I realized we had a conversation about Netflix and that we might release ourselves from the stranglehold of all that is Netflix. And my first immediate thought was, then we're all going to have to watch, not the remake, but Arnold Schwarzenegger's Total Recall and have some times with that. And that may happen yet someday in the future. But still not what, what, what you've picked. <laughs> no, not what I've picked. There's a lot of lead up. <laughs> I'm just taking it down. And there's, a lot of four, there's a lot of foreplay here. <laughs> there is, there is. And I believe your reaction may indeed be orgasmic. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I doubt it. <laughs> and so, as I continued to consider, and I thought of Zizek, Zizek has written some brilliant analysis about a particular filmmaker who we have not yet in the Good Trash Honor cast. And he is one of the great Good Trash film directors. In fact, the beginnings of that, which is the blockbuster, which made Good Trash exist, was directed by a guy called Steven Spielberg. And we're going to look at Jurassic Park. Hell yes. Hell yes. Oh my God. He was right. He was right. I'm so excited. I haven't watched Jurassic Park in so long. So I hope it was worth the lead up. And dear listener, um, refresh yourself if you can. Check out a little bit of Jurassic Park. And next time, we're going to bring some analysis to that. I can tell you right now, dear listener, if you want to skip that show, all you're going to miss is me saying, welcome. To Jurassic Park. Like 90 90 times. (laughs) It's okay, guys. I edit it. It won't all be there. (laughs) I look forward to that show. Do you? Yeah. It's going to be a good time. We'll see you then. But until then, dear listener, watch a movie. Have a conversation. They matter. They make us think about things that are very important. Donnie Darko is not just some angsty, teeny, gothy thing. As you have heard this evening or whatever time of day it happens to be in which you listen to this podcast via the means of time travel that is the internet. But until then, have that conversation. Check out Jurassic Park, and we'll see you next time. Worn out
daily races going nowhere going nowhere the tears are filling up their glasses no expression no expression hide my head i wanna drown my sorrow no tomorrow no tomorrow and i find it kind of funny i find it kind of sad the dreams in which i'm dying are the best i've ever had i find it hard to tell you i find it hard to take when people run in circles it's a very very It's a very, very bad.